Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Hey there, folks, ladies, gentlemen, and people. I'm excited to have you join us today on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My guest today is Dan Fagella, who is the Head of Research and CEO at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. Daniel, how are you today? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm excited to learn more about everything in your life. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what keeps you busy at Emerge and we will go from there. Sure. Yeah. So people could think about Emerge kind of twofold. So we're, we're a publishing business and also a market researcher. So we have a million folks will read Emerge.com over the course of any given year. That's just E-M-E-R-J.com. We cover AI use cases and trends really focusing on the business impact. So we don't tell people about how to write the code. We focus more on where the money's being invested and where the returns are being seen across different industries. So people are looking at chatbots or looking at AI for cybersecurity. Our job is to analyze the vendor landscape, to talk to the head of AI at Raytheon, the head of AI at Comcast, and figure out what's really working in the real world and bring that to our readers. And then on the market research side, we support leaders in um, giving them kind of the the data and the assessment of the landscape that they need to support their strategy. So researching the landscape, talking to heads of AI at big old companies, that is the bulk of my time and creating research and and, uh, content is the bulk of what we do. That's awesome. So talking about the research, talking about AI, why should our listeners be concerned or interested with AI knowing that you know, there's a degree of adaptability. Some people might be right in the thick of it. Some people might think it's still in the distant future. Why is it important? Why should they care? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, different folks should care at different levels. But I do think that if you are involved in the innovation strategy side of the business, whether you are an external consultant or you work inside with a company, if you're involved at all in innovation strategy, um, AI has got to be on the radar. If you're in touch with the C-suite as you're making future plans, AI should be on the radar. And particularly for companies who are larger, so firms that have a substantial R&D budget, firms that are competing for market share at the very highest level, whether you're in the AI game or not, your direct competitors certainly are. So we don't advocate that every small and mid-sized business focus all hands on deck on artificial intelligence. That would, of course, be ridiculous. But certainly for larger enterprise firms, thinking about where AI fits into strategy, thinking about how will our operations evolve over time, thinking about how will the way we satisfy our customers in the future change over time um, is a big way of how we ensure we're going to be winners in the future. So if you are a future thinker within a big firm or you're an advisor that serves that capacity, you know, AI should be at least part of what's on the menu. Um, And so that's the way that we kind of frame it. Absolutely. So it sounds like, you know, not reserved for a select audience, but there's a group of people that are interested in it, 
you know, it's eventually coming and going to become more mainstream. And I guess that sounds like that big question is how does operations integrate or how does AI integrate with operations as part of strategy? Did I capture that? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot to get into there. And, and I think the, the reason that we're pretty convinced, and it's, it's pretty hard to deny it at this point. I mean, China, U.S., I mean, everybody's got their national AI strategy. You know, back in the 80s, AI was kind of a fun buzzword as well. But today, unlike in the 80s, our most powerful, fast-growing, kind of globally dominant companies are indeed predicated on artificial intelligence. So there really isn't a Google, actually. There actually isn't a Facebook. There isn't an Amazon. Um, without uh, AI at, at their very core. And it isn't to say that that's, that healthcare and banking are going to become you know, entirely predicated on AI tomorrow, but it does imply that the competitive advantages and the scale and the ability of the, the increased tech capability of these globally leading firms are kind of a precursor to what we can expect in terms of transformation elsewhere. So it's, it's not a trend that's going away. And anybody thinking about where are we going to be in two years or in three years, or how are we going to gain efficiencies or win market share should be considering artificial intelligence in the mix. Mm. So what's it like leading a team in 2021 and like leading a team from a CEO perspective that is involved with the type of work that you do? What are some of the considerations you need to have at the top of your mind as you're leading your group? Sure. Um, I I like talking about these topics because this is something where we can talk more about what's generally working and not working. There's some advice where, you know, should I be investing in AI or not? Well, I'd love to see your P&L. I'd love to see what lines of business you're involved in. I'd love to see where your direct competitors are. Then I'll have a recommendation. But to your question, if we're leading AI change, there's a lot of considerations to, to take into account. One of which is that artificial intelligence is different than IT. So AI should be thought about more as an R&D sort of an effort. Um, When we're, let's say, building a recommendation engine for our retail business, or we're building a brand new way to detect money laundering, you know, within our banking ecosystem, whatever the case may be, we're not so much jacking something in from a vendor, turning it on, kind of uh, configuring some settings, and then having a new dashboard that we're going to use and some new actions that we can automate. We're really drinking in a lot of different sources of data. We're determining maybe where we think the, the causal and important signals are. They're called the features of that data, what, what those might be. And then we're experimenting and iterating with algorithms to see if we can coax out patterns that are uh, predictive or, or indicative of, of uh, you know, some kind of improvement that we can find in the business. So there's a lot of hands-on iteration with AI. And a lot of what we see in terms of, of failure of AI projects in the enterprise stems essentially from um, a lack of, of enterprise AI fluency wrong assumptions off the get-go that make it really impossible to steer a team towards success if we have a lot of really rough assumptions, really poor assumptions going in. So if you'd like, I can kind of enumerate a few of those and we can talk about navigating them. Well, I think it's one of those things that sort of applies like broadly, again, like what we're, we're talking about, because for any type of change, you know, there's a lot of young leaders out there that are full of, you know, piss and vinegar, for lack of a better word. They see the future, they want to integrate that, and then they're met with resistance whether that resistance is, you know, wholesale, everybody is resistant to their change initiatives, whether there's like one or two people that are adopters, which might be the case with you. You know, some people say, I see AI and some people say, no, like, why are we wasting or spending whatever you want to call it this much money in our budget? So how have you practically either been able to successfully manage that change and that resistance Or what are some situations where you weren't able to overcome that change and were there any lessons learned without giving away any sort of names or information? Yeah, sure, sure. And and again, just to be clear about our role, you know, we're not so much barging into companies and building AI projects. We're a market research business intelligence firm that has a very strong publishing arm. 
So we're not leading. However, we are working with directly and often advising either the consultancies and the vendors that are steering that change within the enterprise or the internal innovation strategy leaders that are steering that change. So we do get to you know, work hand in hand with the folks that are going through the hard stuff of trying to push this through at a cultural level. Um, the fact of the matter is most AI change is made by some kind of a catalyst figure. I'm sure this is the same in, in many different technologies. It's normally not the C-suite that acquires the kind of fluency that we like to see, the kind of fluency that we believe to be indicative of, of the ability to achieve ROI. It's not, it's not a guarantee by any means, but it, but it is a prerequisite to even having a shot at ROI, which is essentially a basic understanding conceptually of what AI can do, right? If we don't have a good grounding in that, we're, we're, in, we're in rough waters here, which does not involve writing code, by the way, but a conceptual grasp of what AI can do. Um, we have a great article called How to Apply Machine Learning to Business Problems, which is kind of a basic way of thinking about that. You don't have to take an online gigantic course to get that conceptual grasp. Um, we do our best to actually put together a lot of executive-focused content, but yeah, how to, how to apply machine learning to business problems. So a conceptual grasp of what AI can do a rounded understanding of the use case range within their industry or adjacent industries. So do we even know what this stuff can do? Okay, cool. Algorithms, data. Yeah, here's how they interact. But if we're in banking, do we know the cornucopia of viable projects? It's not to say our our, um, imagination should be limited purely to the most accessible popular use cases in our space, but let's at least get our feet underneath us in terms of where value is being driven before we start thinking about wild and wacky stuff. What is that bounded use case range? And then third is, how does artificial intelligence connect to our strategic aims? So we actually have an article called Executive AI Fluency. If you type that into Google again, you'll find it, where we have an infographic that represents these three things. And while it might be really neat if the C-suite had such fluency, the C-suite's juggling a lot of things. And particularly in legacy enterprises, they have a lot of concerns. And so it's not to their discredit that they're not, you know, fluent in in the way uh, that maybe we would cross our fingers and hope. I suspect in two to three years, vastly more of them will be, um, just as maybe the internet, you know, was this foreign, weird thing that nobody cared much about and didn't really think about. And then at some point, you know, kind of today, we might assume any company that's not on the verge of collapsing has a C-suite that at least conceptually grasps how the internet is servicing their customers, enabling their services, et cetera. So AI will get there. But right now it is being spearheaded by what we call catalysts. So these are outside service providers or they are internal folks that have those three things. They, they have the executive AI fluency that we're talking about. So when, when that person who has that kind of, you know, piss and vinegar to your term, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll use that some more. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice crude way of framing it. So when somebody with the gusto, but also with the context, right? Not, not just pure FOMO juice, because some people are all full of uh, great ideas from, from just reading press releases of other people and saying, me too. And that's, that's not where we want to come from. If we're grounded in, in the tech, and, and we have the confidence and the contextual knowledge to, to know and, and to really believe where, where value can be, can be brought into the business. Our job then as the catalyst is to frame the value of these AI projects to leadership. And where we see the biggest early failures happen, and there's a million of these things we could talk about, but I'd love to highlight this one. We are at Emerge focused on where the rubber meets the road. AI projects don't go forward unless leadership says yes. So actually communicating the value of AI is one of the most important things that we research. We talk about how internal teams do this. We talk to the most successful vendor companies and unicorns in the world about how they've been able to get that light bulb to turn on, get leadership to say yes. Not in a manipulative, who's got the coolest persuasion techniques, but how do we frame the tech uh, in a way that's going to get buy-in? Here's the big, the big gap. So the big gap today is Leadership thinks AI is IT. We're going to plug this thing in. We're going to see some benefits. Yippee doo dah. And, and they often also 
think it's just automation. So it's just pure efficiencies. It's not opening new lines of business, cracking open new capabilities. It's just kind of an efficiency tool. It's like AI is RPA and and you kind of jack it in and then you're supposed to see your costs go down. That's not all leadership, but if I were to tell you that is a large slice of the pie, uh, that would be an iron truth, my brother. It would be an iron truth. When these catalysts who understand the context go to the C-suite, often what they do is not for the sake of being deceptive, they kind of let leadership maintain the AI as IT perception because I think they understand if we said, hey, boss, what we're going to need here to build this recommendation engine is we might need three or four months to look across our customer data, look across our, our on-site user data, look and, and tie that to the activity with our, our email system and automation system to look at people's responses to promotions. We might need months to harmonize that and possibly even start tracking new kinds of data before this project is even viable. Like that's a painful thing to say. So they don't say it. And we're going to talk about how to get around this problem, but this is the problem and this is its origin. So, so the, the problem is, a pure framing of framing AI like it's IT. We're going to jack this in, boss. Near-term ROI. You're going to spend X, you're going to make Y. Yep, it's, we're just going to, that's how it's going to work. Because that's kind of what they maybe think and expect, and we kind of ride along with that because these things are hard. Here's some other hard realities we might not want to bring up. Hey, boss, frankly, we're, we're likely going to need a little bit more in-house data science expertise here. I don't think we can trust vendors with orchestrating and organizing the entirety of our data architecture around the future of recommendations and marketing in this business. I don't think some AI vendor that does email marketing recommendations should really be getting their hands on maybe everything we have. And I think we need to own that process and think about it in the future. And that's not going to be like a tomorrow task boss. That's, that's some real thinking here. Maybe we don't want to bring that up. Maybe we don't want to, because that's effort, right? That's more cost for the boss. They got to think about that. Maybe, maybe we kind of neglect that for a second. So these team elements, these culture elements, these data and infrastructure elements, which, which are required, these are, these are what we call critical capabilities. Um, again, we have another article on that, AI critical capabilities, EMERJ, if people want to Google it. But these, these prerequisites deployment, this AI maturity that AI has to sit on top of, we neglect. We just pitch the project and we pitch what you're going to spend and make. And what that does is it sets the boss up with a reinforced perspective, sets leadership up with a reinforced perspective that we're going to jack this thing in and you're going to tell me how much I'm saving in a month or two months or three months. When in fact, there's going to be a lot of iterating. There's going to be a lot of building this maturity. So this is a bit of the problem space. I'm going to go into um, how we work around this and how the smartest firms are sort of navigating this problem, the smartest catalyst navigating this problem. But I want to kind of pause and see if you have any questions here because I'm, I'm putting a lot on you about this dynamic. Uh, so let me know if you want to dive in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So for everybody else listening, Daniel's got a lot of expertise and I won't go through the, you know, schooling that he's got and experience that he's got in management science as well, but there's a component to that. But basically to paraphrase back, there's a couple of things in order to be able to move these initiatives forward. You need both the in-house technical skills. You need the business case so that there's clear value and then the strategy like it actually makes sense. Some People who are trying to drive these initiatives forward sounds like they undersell it. They undersell it in the hopes that it'll get easier buy-in. What it sounds like you're sort of uh, foreshadowing is that by underselling it, you are setting yourself up for frustration, gaps in expectation, you know, and then 
potentially underfunding it when you really need to, because you didn't really give the scope of it. You tried to get a little Trojan horse of this will be fine. And then, and it's really not, and then it dies and then you can't actually get it back because you need to build the trust and get all that stuff going to get that. Yep. You're, you're right there. And so it's the cultural things. It's all those changes, but it's also the data and the data infrastructure, this technical hubbub we got to fight through to unlock these projects. Now, some, some AI projects require more of this than others. There are some solutions that are really light. We actually don't have to put a jackhammer to any of our existing systems or, or really kind of think about rejiggering core infrastructure uh, at all. But many projects, if they are substantial, if they're going to make a serious impact, are going to involve a lot of this kind of R&D and AI maturity building effort. So what we advocate and what smart firms kind of do already is we advocate that AI catalysts, whether they are outside consultants and vendors, and we have a lot of consultants that follow us at Emerge. We have a whole kind of platform just for, for the consulting world who really need to be fluent in how to communicate this stuff, uh, how to communicate value and set expectations. Because again, over-promising near-term immediate financial ROI, any schmo can do that. Literally any schmo can omit facts and get a boss to stamp something, but, but then any schmo can look like a fool and maybe get fired. So mm, I don't know if you want to be any schmo, actually. There's, there's a real strong argument to not. So we advocate for thinking about AI ROI and framing AI ROI through three lenses. Um, and and if, if people Google the three kinds of AI ROI, they'll, again, find an infographic. We happen to be in the information business, so we've, we've written something about almost all these things and, and uh, are fortunate to have many, many folks reading this stuff. But, but it's a great infographic. We talk about the three kinds of AI ROI. There's measurable ROI, there's strategic ROI, and there's capability ROI. Um, and so I'll, I'll talk about all three of those very quickly, and I'll talk about how to integrate them into making this business case. Because if we are talking to leadership, and we we have their best interest in mind, we want the business to win here, you know. And we're um, hopefully we're we're not just a leader who wants to do something cool so we can look good on a resume. We actually want to add value to the business. In this case, we've got to set expectations right. So here's the way it works. Before um, you before you go into that, can you also touch on the importance of getting organizational buy-in as you do that? Because obviously the leadership is like level one and then the rest of the people, the change management piece, because I think yeah. it'll be easier that yeah. way. I got infographics for every one of these questions. No. You're asking, you're like giving me, you're just giving me softballs here. No. No, but, um, but no, this is, this is good stuff. It's absolutely the right question. So we'll, we'll totally get into that. I'll, I'll cover ROI and then I'll talk about how that has to translate through IT, through subject matter experts, through the other folks that are going to be involved in these projects. So in the three kinds of ROI, measurable ROI is the needle we would hope to move in some kind of meaningful metric. Now, often this is going to be financial. It's not always dollars. It's often percentages. You know, what's a percent of man hours we can, that, that we can reduce if we can automate this document search and discovery process? Um, what are the number of man hours to get to, you know, X level of customer service satisfaction on the phone if we can route our email tickets and our phone calls properly with some kind of an AI-enabled system that might be better than our current sort of dial one to go here or, or what have you? Or it might be an incremental improvement. Okay, I'd like to see 10% higher cart value for a non-logged-in user on our e-commerce site in X date, if possible. Um, and, and setting really unrealistic dates is, is a bad habit, but, but at least having some anchor to the kind of improvement we'd need to see to call this a valid project um, is important. So that's measurable ROI. Very easy to only talk about that because leadership is going to only ask about that normally right off the bat. But if we leave out the other elements where we're absolutely setting ourselves up to fail on the expectation sense and in terms of unlocking real value. So strategic is the next one. Strategic is essentially answering the following question. How will this project move us closer to one of our existing strategic anchors. Here's an example of what one of those might be, a three to five year goal. 
a current technology project or thrust, some, some big upgrade we're making, some big existing funneling of resources to, to achieve some kind of transform, transformative event. Um, alignment with our existing tr- digital transformation vision. You know, what do we want to become as a business? You know, uh, leadership, somebody in leadership knows where the heck we want to be in, in uh, two years, maybe five years in terms of how more digitally enabled we are, how we're serving our customers. Can, can AI kind of be a booster to that? So, so the second element here is, again, can AI tie to a big strategic mandate and be something that's pulling us closer to that in an important way. If we have none of that, no real strategic mandate, then any little hustle fussle around the near-term ROI not panning out is enough to often just cut the head off of project. Mm. Um, so because we're going to go through the wrestling match of R&D, which is what you're signing up for if you're doing a substantial AI project, you're, you're buckling up for R&D. So like, get used to it. You know, that's, that's, it's a cultural change. It is what it is, but buckle up. You know, learn how it goes. Talk to your, to your colleagues and other businesses who, who've gone through this and, and get an understanding of what you're signing up for, but you're signing up for something. If we have no strategic ties there and it doesn't turn out to be IT, because we set a crap expectation that AI is IT, we're going to get nixed. So find the strategic anchor that's going to give get us the leadership buy-in to work through the ugliness of overhauling our data, the ugliness of figuring out how to get our teams to collaborate, the ugliness of changing culture and getting people to iterate and getting subject matter experts to buy in, which we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the team tomorrow. Third element of ROI, which in our opinion, astronomically overlooked, never overtly talked about. It is one of the war drums that we beat here at Emerge when it comes to helping catalysts actually drive change. And that is capability ROI. We talked about measurable and strategic. Number three is capability ROI. Here's the question the capability ROI answers. How will this project build a foundation to unlock greater digital data and AI value into the future? So when this project is done, how am I as a business or as a department or as a leader going to have a greater, uh, a more fruitful soil for any future digital or or AI or data related project moving forward. So let me give you an example here. Assuming we do that recommendation engine, that recommendation engine can be a catalyst to actually aligning and organizing our on-site analytics, our email analytics, our customer purchase data, finally connecting the dots there. So we have a transparent way of looking at and analyzing that stuff. Even if our recommendation engine fails, this is a level up in terms of the business writ large for our reporting, for um, our, our ability to maybe even do rudimentary forecasts, just Excel level stuff. If the, 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 the cells aren't merged and, and everything's in its own dark corner, we can't even get that far. So whether it's AI or not, is this project delivering learnings or tangible changes to our infra in some way that we can then take and we can leverage to give us more success in the future? You know, we, we've worked with uh, some pretty substantial banks and insurance firms and there's been times where maybe they tried some kind of fraud detection, you know, project somewhere and you know, it's taken a long time and they're still plotting away and kind of seeing that measurable ROI. But there are, there are certain elements to how data is stored that they've been able to improve. And they figured out a good cadence of how data scientists and subject matter experts work together. They figured out how many full-time SMEs do we actually need to pull off of their jobs and into the project instead of tacking this on like some extra side job and realizing that they resent us for it. What's a new way of building teams? Do we have a runbook for future AI projects? If so, that's capability ROI. Make no mistake about it. Anybody listening to this episode, in, in iron and stone, let this be carved. The ROI of your early AI projects will come in large part from how much smarter you are about uh, delivering AI into your business, about enabling AI into your business, as it is about whatever near-term middling ROI you get. It's not to say we shouldn't expect early projects to deliver an ROI. We should absolutely hold them accountable to that, and we should strive for that. But at the end of the day, a lot of the lessons learned 
are going to be consciously tuning into how did teams work together when this worked? What was wrong with the data? How did we do our upfront data diagnostic to figure out if this project is viable? And can we do that for future projects? Can that be a shortcut to figuring out where AI opportunity is in other parts of the business? These are all capability ROI. It is astronomically neglected, astronomically neglected. And it is by far one of the most important things we need to focus on. So if we go to leadership and we present them with, sure, here's the measurable, here's what we hope to be accountable to, and it's reasonable. And boss, here are the strategic mandates we are going to move ourselves closer to. These things are in direct support of long-term goals. These are not toys. This is not technical debt I'm building in a dark corner spinning up in some Amazon cloud. This is driving towards what you're already asking us to do here, boss. We want to get that level of buy-in and we want a real firm head shake on that. And we want to be able to say, and through this project, we hope to have this stronger data foundation and this better understanding of team collaboration because we know AI is going to be a part of how we do marketing in the future. We know this world is transforming and no matter what, we're we're also going to be smarter. Now, even if the boss says they don't care, about the strategy and the capability side, it is our responsibility as the catalyst to always bring them up. Every time we're presenting a project, never frame it as AI is IT. Because it is, even if the boss is like wading through the statements about about strategy, well, you know what? When it comes time for expectation, at least they have some other value to anchor to than you pretending like you're going to plug this in and print money for them which is never going to happen. So lots to go into there. Let me know if you want to poke into anything and we can talk about the team side as well, but this is really important stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, again, as you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff there. So I don't even know where to go from here. I think, I, I think what's really, I mean, the measurable ties back to the KPIs, the strategic ties to the strategy, the capabilities ties to the skills. It's like you need three, three parts to that and making sure you have all of that. The capacity building, we have our capacities for strategy execution. And it's one of those things. It's like you get stronger by nature and that strength by nature helps you do everything. And I think it's as a catalyst, as you had put it, and is having the awareness and the understanding that the crap data that you have to sort through because it's ugly going through it is worth it on multiple levels and that as the catalyst you need to continuously bring up the value that you know and see such that the business case can support it but also that you have a longer range vision on why so that it supports not the business today not the business tomorrow but in the future which then helps you actually build a greater structure process for scale and, and and ultimately being able to have a key ingredient is that alignment. If you can get everybody on the same page in terms of, hey, where's the future? Being able to do that is going to support you with that technological enablement. And it does in part answer that, how do we get everybody on board? Because everybody's got something they want and there's probably something for everybody, but it's not always right away. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's a big mistake to, it's perfectly fine to bite off small bite sizes and just know, Leadership is not going to let us overhaul and connect all of our data sources for XYZ application with the first AI project. So great, let's go ahead and start small, but let's not frame it as push button because then we're training leadership to continue to, to see it that way. So I'm sure we could talk about this for hours and I, we have, I've got one more question that I think is going to transition into those little baby steps. What does martial arts and artificial intelligence and strategy all have connected oh, in your yeah. mind? You know, to be frank, these days I'm probably known for, for the AI side of things. So we've been very fortunate at Emerge to, 
you know, serve the role we've served everywhere from speaking at the United Nations headquarters about deep fakes to working with banks and life sciences firms. And if you Google Dan Fagella today, it's, it's AI. But my previous life, as apparently you've done your homework here, was as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and national competitor. So if you look at my ears, they're pretty, pretty messed up. The way that I paid for Ivy League grad school wasn't having a job because I'm actually kind of like spiritually just incapable of doing that. It was by training fighters um, because it's much more fun than selling insurance or delivering pizzas. Um, so I, I ran a martial arts gym and then turned that into a couple million dollars e-commerce business selling essentially video and self-defense material online, sold that second company to, to fund what, what I do now. To be frank, I don't draw that straightforward of a line between artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. It's not like, oh, because you know, martial arts is like this. I want to do AI. It, it, that, I, I, don't, I don't know if I actually see a direct connection. The only commonality is I've got a passion for them. And I, I think they're important and, and wanted to get involved. So I think that's as, about as much of a connection, which I had some beautiful thing like, oh, you know, jujitsu naturally led into business strategy. Eh, not really. Just when I set my mind to something and I, I work 80 hour weeks, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get really good at stuff. And if that was like choking people and, and winning shiny uh, trophies, then, then I would do a lot of that and certainly did a lot of that. Um, <laughs> then it, but then if it's growing a market research firm, then uh, by golly, uh, uh, I'll, I'll sure be working ever, ever so hard to do exactly that. And, and, that's, and that's where I am now. So just different passions of uh, the same eclectic, eclectic person here. Well, I find that to my universal truth is most how you do one thing is how you do all things. And so my assertion would be that as a martial arts coach and being able to understand the lay of the land and good fighters are great strategists because they don't just bull rush into stuff. They understand how little pieces compound to create a successful win that you probably, I would bet, take some of that into what you do now. Yeah, I, I think so. If there is some transferability, so certainly working very hard is, is transferable to essentially everything. And so that, that just works. And, and as it turns out, you know, if you're, if you're used to being in competitions where people can break your stuff and you've heard your own ligament snap, then speaking in front of a crowd is actually not a big deal um, because you, you've experienced astronomically more literal and physical risk. And so business is sort of like child's play by comparison when it comes to stress and strain. To, to combat sport. Um, but, but I think the most transferable thing would be in, in instruction. So I really did like teaching. Jiu-jitsu can be broken down into strategic components and really being able to, to find the distinctions that would make it click for students was a real passion for mine. It was, it was one of the most fun things for me. And now in the AI world, I guess, advertedly or inadvertently, being able to, again, talk to the best experts, learn what's working, and then congeal that now in the form of often infographics, frameworks, tools for leaders is, uh, you know, it's an, is a, a skill I get to exercise again. So that's, that's one connection is to train good fighters. You've got to be able to distill a lot of experience into a very short amount of time and a short explanation. And I think with executive leadership, they don't have the time to read a book either. You got to do the same thing. You need those infographics. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a part of it. That's part of the fun of what we do. No, I get that. Awesome, Daniel. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people learn more about what you do and, and uh, get some of that content that you're talking about? Yeah, sure, sure. The website is just emerj.com. Um, but for, for folks that, you know, I've mentioned a bunch of infographics here. We have a webinar on essentially how to apply this stuff in a consulting context. So a lot of innovation strategy leaders have been on this webinar, but also a lot of folks that are in the consulting and services space. It's just emerj.com slash web one. That's web is in webinar and then the number one. So emerj.com slash web one. I'll, I'll ping it to you for the show notes, but that's essentially a, our flagship webinar on applying these frameworks to identifying AI opportunities and then making the business case. What does it look like as a advisor or a strategist or guide in the enterprise to do that? 
that's the webinar. So emerj.com slash web one. But otherwise, people can just find us at Emerge on social and you know follow us and feel free to be in touch. So that's it for us. That's awesome, Daniel. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much for your passionate sharing. And I know that it's a, a topic that we only scrape the surface of, but for the sake of moving this forward, uh, I think people got a lot out of it, not only in the AI space, but how to be able to move complex challenges forward because the world is only getting more complex, which means there's more opportunities. So I appreciate you sharing with us today. That's true. Yeah. Thanks so much. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, folks, it's uh, my pleasure to welcome our guest today, Daniel Fagella, who is the head of research, the CEO at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. Be sure to watch Daniel's webinar. I'm sure there's so much more good content on there. In addition to what we talked about today, be sure to connect with him. And we appreciate you watching today. So this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much, Daniel again. Appreciate it. And everyone, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus, you can use the code podcast for $100 off course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.